Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. We are super excited to announce that we have our fourth Contractor Coalition Summit happening in Austin, Texas this fall. Come out and visit with us on September 14th, Thursday. Conference will end on Sunday, September 17th. We're going to have an amazing collection of builders all throughout the country. Uh, some amazing vendors will be there in support. We're also going to have a session on construction instruction with Mark LaLiberté, which is going to be part of the summit. Just amazing content, networking, uh, ways that all of us can enhance our brand, our product, and especially our organization, looking down to the very core of who we are as builders and how we're operating to make sure that we're operating at the highest level. The camaraderie and the knowledge shared between all the builders and the teachers that come to instruct are super valuable. So make sure you sign up for the Contractor Coalition Summit. Again, whether you're a new company just starting out in your first couple of weeks of business or you're a seasoned company, there's going to be plenty of information and it's super valuable to attend. So we'll see you in Austin. I've realized I need to listen more. 25 years being married and you know I still realize I need to listen more and talk less. Just in general, even with my kids, listen to what they're saying. So what do I want and why do I want it? I want to be the leader. I want to be the guy that everybody calls for their gun ranges. But I need to listen to what people need. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm excited to have Nathan Pison with us today. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Nathan is a licensed mechanical engineer. You're also with uh, Pioneer Design and Engineering. And uh, we go back a little ways because you've actually designed a gun range for us. And uh, I actually have a couple clients uh, in the process of of doing a few more in the near future. So we'll we'll definitely be in contact. So I think this was going to be a fun episode to bring you on to speak about gun ranges. I'm excited. I thought it would be a great opportunity to share what I know and, you know, what I enjoy doing. Well, it's interesting that, you know, being a licensed mechanical engineer, um, you know, most of us understand, you know, the, the role you play in our designs, especially in the buildings and buildings are becoming more complex and, you know, homes are, uh, you know, mechanical is a huge component of all of our designs, not just from a healthy living standpoint, but also as you think about aesthetically in the house. And then, you know, for us figuring out how we're going to design a house with trusses, right. And have, have space and lack of soffits and, you know, access for our mechanical. But I think more importantly, something that maybe few people have the opportunity to build or see our gun ranges, you know, how did this, uh, opportunity open up or now you almost have become uh, a specialist in the gun range industry, Nathan. So I worked for a bigger firm several years ago before I went on my own and we did 
large, some large commercial ranges. And I had a homeowner, you know, it's, it's about eight, eight to nine years ago, called me and said, Hey, I have this space in my basement. I want to be able to shoot guns downstairs. I'm like, first, my first thought was that'd be fun to do. And then I realized I can scale it. You know, it's, you know, big commercial ranges have lots of power. They have lots of space. They have roofs to put stuff on. But as you know, the range that we've done is in the basement. You're now you're trying to find space. That's, that's one of the constraints. So I realized I can scale it down and it doesn't have to be all the fancy bells and whistles. It needs to move the air and you don't necessarily need three phase power. That's one of the things that people freak out about because you're moving a large volume of air, which essentially you're like a commercial unit, but we, we can choose to use some different phase converters or VFDs to adjust that. So that's kind of how I fell into it. I, you know, I was able to scale something down. I'm like, okay. Then I got another one a couple months later and it's just kind of a slow progression. But over the last say three and a half years, four years, I've done 30 to 40 gun ranges, including commercial and home, you know, and people are like, people do that. And I was, I'm like, yeah, you'd be surprised the people that do that, you know, and, you know, and they're like, do people do it here in Arizona where we live? And I'm like, yeah, people do it in Arizona. They're like, okay. So that's kind of how I kind of got into it. And it's, it's a slow, it was a slow progression, as you know, you know, when you're trying to get going on something, it's, you know, the balls, you know, got to get that momentum going. But once that momentum starts going, you add in that, that mass to keep going. It's, it starts rolling pretty good. Well, there's something to be said about being known as a specialist too, right? Any of us running a business, ideally, I mean, you have a ton of talent and expertise, expertise from the mechanical side, you know, that's your background. And, and I think it's maybe not always common to have a licensed mechanical engineer doing a gun range, which is really important. I think for those listening, for doing a gun range, make sure they're licensed. Let me ask you this though, maybe before we get into some of the specifics of the residential gun ranges, when you look at municipalities, city ordinances, restrictions, does that vary throughout the U.S.? Does it vary by state? You know, especially if you've done, you know, 30 to 40 of these. I know in Arizona, it's pretty open, but you know, you you heard people say, oh, can you do that in Scottsdale? I know you can do it in Gilbert. You know, how does that work just municipality for approval or are there any restrictions, you know, on a national level? Just blanketly, there's not a a blanket yes or no. Each municipality is different. I've got ranges going on in New York and you get in these outlying counties, more rural, you're, there are less restrictions. People are more open to things like that. And a lot of times these municipalities don't know what they're looking at. You know, for instance, the one we did, you know, they didn't know, the city didn't know what they were looking at. So we, you know, I had to teach them and then they're like, who's going to certify this? And I'm like, I'll certify it. I'll take responsibility of it. So the, the simple answer is I usually make a phone call to the plan reviewers, plan examiners. I do that as the engineer. I don't put that on anybody else because at the end of the day, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to give you the system that's safe. There may be additional restrictions or additional level, levels of filtration that the city or state wants, but that's on a case by case basis. And that's, you know, my fees take care of all that. So I make sure I provide a safe environment for the end, the customers and the users. From I, it may be hard for you to answer this, but from a municipality, uh, you know, background, you know, what they're worried about. You mentioned filtration. I'd imagine that they're really concerned about the health of someone down there, you know, proper filtration, especially as you're dealing with, you know, ammunition and discharge and, you know, at, which I'll, 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 I will allow you to expound upon. 
do they have any other safety concerns? Are there any other restrictions, you know, as far as access, you know, privacy, and even if it's a residential home, um, what, what other, what other pushback items do you get from a city? Um, the access is usually this, they're worried about safety, about people just random, you know, the random guy trying to get in there on the street. And generally these, we have a few that I've done that there's, you know, there's a door right off of, you know, a garage or a warehouse or something like that. But generally these are down in basements or, you know, there's a path of layers that you have to get through to get to these, you know, cause usually there's a gun room associated with the range. So there's an armory, you know, where homeowner has his collection. And then, then you go into that next stall that's you're in the shooting range, you know? So there's, there are levels and, you know, that's what a lot of cities wanted. They want to know, is it locked? Is it secured? And generally the answer is yes. You know, and then from a ballistic standpoint, most of these are in concrete, you know, you're eight to 10 inches of concrete. And if we can't achieve, if we don't have concrete, we also add um, ballistic baffles that will, you know, it's AR 500 plate you know, ranges between quarter inch thick, five sixteenths thick. And so it, it will take a, a pretty good shot, you know, to prevent any stray bullets, you know, entering the home. Because some of these are above sleeping quarters or living areas. So, or below, I'm sorry, I should say. So that's a, that's a, that's where that generally comes from. So let me ask you this. When you speak about like the, the baffles that can be itself for the ballistics, you know, to prevent, you know, ricochet or whatever, maybe um, Kevlar, is that something that's typically installed? I mean, what are you putting on these concrete walls, especially on a long gun range, right? To prevent like any issues from the surrounding, you know, areas that, that are adjacent to the gun range. So generally I, I will look at a plan and I'd like to get involved early. Um, as you, you know, you know, getting, planning early, looking ahead, that makes a world of difference. So there's a couple different products, you know, usually what we line the ranges with there, it's concrete or it's CMU and it's fully grouted. So it's, you know, it's pretty solid and generally people shoot straight, you know, you get the occasional, the stray, but there's, I got a product right here on my desk. Um, it's called uh, dark void. It sounds like it's a star Wars Sith Lord. Um, one of the, my acoustic, I work with an acoustic engineer to get acoustic materials that will can be lined in the range or above the ceiling or in additional walls to, um, you know, protect. It's not, you're not really protecting anything. It's more sound dampening to reduce the noise that you hear in those ranges or outside the ranges, I should say. Yeah, because ideally, I mean, anyone that's in the range and they're shooting, I mean, they should be wearing you know, some soundproof headphones, right? Some sort of yep. instrument to protect their ears anyways. And so what you're looking at from an acoustical standpoint, as well as a soundproofing, is just ensuring that that noise isn't, you know, echoing all throughout the home or, or commercial property. Correct. Yeah. You want to cut that noise down and, you know, that goes into some of the equipment as well. You look at, you know, we've been in homes or buildings where you can hear the air handling system and it's loud you know, and you don't want to, you know, exasperate the, that's the right word, I believe, to uh, make that worse. You know, you don't want to add to the noise, you know, before you even start shooting. 
Yeah, and that completely makes sense. I mean, for our clients, even outside of a gun range, I mean, a huge impact is like, where are my condensers going to be, right? Where are my air handlers going to be? Am I going to hear them? Are they sitting on the floor? I'm going to feel the vibration. Are they hanging from the ceiling? So we're taking that into consideration on any mechanical design, let alone when you're looking at a gun range. You bring up the armory. What's interesting, most of the gun ranges that I've been involved in or I've seen, it is pretty common that there'll be like a gun safer armory nearby. Um, the ones I've been through, They've never been in the gun range or typically adjacent like a separate room. So that it's like yeah. a massive safe or a walk-in safe. And then you get in the armory, take out the equipment you need, you go into the gun range. And of course, as you mentioned, there's a door. Um, how are most clients protecting, not the armory, because I think that stands for itself, that they're, it's typically a safe, you know, full body safe entry. Did the gun range itself, you know, locking mechanisms, you know, is there any requirements from the city just on access to the gun range itself? The city is never, I've never had a city come and say, you have to put X type of door with this kind of lock hardware. I've never, I've not had that, but generally most of my clients, they are, you know, a higher end client. They want, they want a certain look or aesthetics. And so they, a lot of my guys, I have several guys, one client has a hidden door. Um, it's, it's a, looks like a poured concrete wall. You push a button on it the door swings open and you go down into the stairs and you're in the gun range area. So, you know, there's some clever things people do, but you know, a lot of people do the vault door cause it looks cool, you know, or, you know, I've had one that if you've seen, uh, oceans 11, the spinning door with the, I had a client that did that. He, he had yeah. biometrics and it was, he just thought it was a great idea. And I'm like, I don't have to design that part of the range. I'm glad because that's, you know, that's that's way out of my comfort zone to design something like that. But, you know, we made it work from a ventilation standpoint. So, And then the, I, I want to get to the process because why it's really important to have you in, Nathan. I know the project we were uh, working together last client was the same, not only just for the uh, the gun range itself, but he wanted biometrics access to the house. So any, any door or window, yeah, not window, but any door or access yeah. point, you know, it was all biometrics that we were designing. What's funny is you bring up the um, one of the gun ranges you did many years ago. This is probably 15 years ago before I started AFT. We did a gun range, and it was you walk into this massive library, this incredible library, and it was almost like Mission Impossible. There's one book, right? You pull the one book, and then the whole wall opens up. You go down, and they had this private wine cellar and their armory, of course, safe, and then the gun range. So. It is pretty creative how clients will either block or hide that aspect of the home uh, more for safety, you know, just or maybe it's for just to create like, um, you know, an event as people are coming by and you're giving a tour of the home and showing them kind of some of the neat aspects to the build. Yeah. So from your side, Nathan, you know, from a process aspect, you, you mentioned how how important it is for you when why should someone if they're looking at doing a gun range, how early should you should you be involved and why? I like to be involved as from in the design process early on in the planning stages. Uh, we, if, if I can get in early enough, I can start allocating space for not only the range equipment um, for the, the backstop. I can work, you know, I work with different manufacturers that have that equipment, but for my air handling equipment and for my fans and, you know, controls and ductwork, sometimes ductwork, you know, like what you talked about earlier, trying to, you know, not necessarily you need to hide the ductwork, but if you have ductwork exposed in the range, you got to protect that ductwork. Now you're adding additional baffles 
whereas you can you know so you don't shoot through your ductwork so getting on early on is what we need to do you know be involved in the design phase you know call me up you know i usually spend a half hour 30 minutes with somebody on the phone with the architect or even a homeowner or a builder and say okay what are you looking for how large do you want this range and this is kind of what the space is. I have some general blocks that I use, say, this is the volume that I need, and this is the area that I need. And then you got to worry about maintenance. That's So though, if, as long as you're early on in the stage, you can say, okay, I can get these things in place. But the worst for me is when I get a phone call and say, hey, we're putting a gun range in. I'm like, oh, great. Can you send me the plans? Well, why don't you just come down and look at what we have already installed? So for me, that's, you know, I've had a couple of those, and you're like, you cringe because people you don't realize how much air you're moving i mean you know you're, you're moving instead of a regular five ton unit you know that's 2000 cfm you're moving up to you know one of my home ranges has it's almost like a commercial range it, it moves twenty thousand cubic feet per minute of air because it's you know over 20 feet wide and it's a, like it's like a commercial range so getting in early can save a lot of issues and then down the road, I don't have to say, call up Brad and say, Hey, Brad, um, the electrician's telling me there's not enough power for my equipment, you know, and you've already called the utility company. They've dropped transformers. You know, we can, we can head this off and we can be ahead of the game and not have to try to backtrack and, you know, planning ahead will save money, you know, take a little time now, you know, you don't got to come back at that callback, you know, where it's going to cost you 10 times the amount of money because you didn't take, a couple of days earlier. So I think that's really valuable because even your example of a, a standard, you know, 2,500 CFM to the 20,000, I mean, that's eight times, eight times the size, you know, for that small space. You mentioned the word maintenance as people are thinking about the potential of putting in a gun range, speak to the maintenance, what kind of maintenance is involved or needed when installing that, not only from a client perspective, but maybe some of myself as the builder. So, Generally, depending on where we're at in the country, we do a couple different styles of, you know, we can do a, um, there's a fan, you know, basic nuts and bolts. There's a fan and there's a sets of filters. And then there's some kind of generally cooling equipment. Some guys don't want heating, cooling, depending where out in the country. Some guys like, I don't care. I'll freeze down there. I'm okay, whatever. But you have a couple sets of filters, you know, so you got, and you have a meters, you know, magnahelix that will chest test the pressure across those fans as they load up and get dirty. So you need to change. You'll have a HEPA filter and a bag filter and sometimes a pre-filter, depending on how you do it. If you, you know, that bag filter and that HEPA filter could go, depending on how you shoot, you could, they're good. They could be good for a year. Sometimes HEPA filters can go longer, but that's why you have that meter across it. So, you know, okay, it's time. It's, we're getting a little bit higher on the static and that fans working harder. So you, you want to get that. But the issue with that is you have lead now, right? or some people shoot lead free ammo, but there's still a little bit of lead involved in it. So there are companies out there that are uh, industrial hygienists that will come in, you know, and say, okay, for X amount of dollars, you know, and it's based on how much time they think they'll take. They'll come in, pull your filters, switch your filters out, bag in, bag out, take them all out in black bags. So you don't have, it. it's not bringing through your house. It's all clean. And then they'll rake your, if you, depending on the type of trap you have, They'll rake the rubber down, clean out all the lead, and then throw it back out there and put it back to normal, and they'll wipe it down. So, But that's some of the maintenance that needs to be done, and that's that could be done annually or every other year, depending on how much you shoot. Because 
some of the homeowners that I know, I know a couple of guys that I've done the ranges for they're beautiful ranges. And I go and talk to them and they're like, Oh, I've shot six times in the last two years in there. And so it's really on how you use it and, you know, and being mindful that it does need to be maintained. It is equipment, you know, and it comes down to safety at the end of the day. It's funny because you mentioned industrial hygienists and it's like, I think many people listening are like, is that even a profession, you know, but you under, <laughs> like the funny thing is, is like, you understand the reason why, right. And, and to be that specialized, how have you built your network, Nathan, as you think about that, that you're becoming in contact with a company that does the industrial hygienics, right. For a company or for a client, right. To come in because the maintenance is super important. As you mentioned to come through and clean, you know, depending on uses, of course, but you know, how has that network expanded, especially as you've grown, you know, to have such a, a staple in this business? So I started out, you know, I went and, you know, there's a big gun conference in Las Vegas every year. You know, it's called Shot Show. It's usually in Vegas, same time as the Concrete Expo. Mm -hmm. You yep. know, so I run across guys, you know, that do concrete for ranges and they come, you know, get them a pass. So I started out going and talking to a couple of guys like, hey, I'm an engineer. I've done some gun ranges. How can I help you? Oh, we got somebody, we got somebody. So I had to, you know, it took a couple of years for me to get in the door with some of these bigger gun manu, some of these range manufacturers. And I just finally, you know, in the last, like right before COVID, I got in with um, one of my guys I do a lot of work with. They, is, uh, they are mobile range technology. They take shipping containers and make gun ranges out of shipping containers. So that's always another option for people. But Scott, great guy, gave me a chance. You know, he says, hey, I need an engineer. So Scott and I have been doing stuff all over the country. Um, and we got stuff going all over the world right now. We got to, so, and from that, I met filter guys. I've met, you know, gun range, like gun manufacturers. And like, hey, we got a range. Would you like to look at it? You know, and gun range owners. So I've started, you know, I make the ask. I've reached out and say, hey, the worst they can tell me is no. You know, so my dad, you know, my dad, was a salesman and he said the worst somebody can tell you is no so i said okay i'm just gonna ask the, ask the question hey can i come look at your range can i come talk to you about your ranges what i can do for you what service can i provide to you to make sure you have the safest range in the gun range industry i, th I think that's really important to understand is that when people are introducing you of course you're a licensed mechanical engineer as you mentioned but the variation and knowledge you have of range manufacturers how does that work hand in hand how do you specify a certain range uh depending on the client uh to know exactly what would be the best manufacturer to fit their need or or you know you know the project itself so recently i've i've gone through some business changes in the way i do things i've realized i need to listen more um what people need um, i think we all need to do that <laughs> right I, I surprisingly enough you know and you know i've been you know coming up you know we're 25 years being married and, you know, I still realize I need to listen more and talk less <laughs> um, just in general, even with my kids, listen to what they're saying. So in the last, you know, I like to say it's, I've been doing this the whole time, but it's not true. I'd be lying. I, you know, I, in the last few months, I was like, I'm like, okay, what do I want? You know, why, and why do I want it? I want to be the leader. I want the guy, I want to be the guy that everybody calls for their gun ranges, but I need to listen to what people need you know, not what I think they want. I don't need to be the guy that says, okay, no, I'm going to tell you what you want. It's like when you go buy a car, you know what you want when you go look for your truck, 
you know, this is what I want in my truck. And then the salesman brings you something else. That's not what I asked for. So I need to, you know, the key for me is to listen to what my clients want. Cause there's some guys that just want, I have one guy that wants to bury a Connex in the desert and just wants to move air through it. I'm like, okay, this is the, you know, and I'll tell them the downfalls of it, but I'll say, okay, I'll, I'm happy to design it for you, but this is the downfalls and I'll educate him on, you know, this is what's going on. He goes, nope, I still, that's what I want. So I listened to what he want and then I gave him what he wanted. So I think listening is the key. So, and, and I think that's good value for any of us. I know that that can be one of my issues is that I tend to talk too much. Um, you know, listening is definitely a learned art. There's training. I had a guest on Oscar Trimboli um, a few episodes ago, and he was really big on that, that, you know, the art of listening and how valuable it could be for your business and make us all more profitable and build quicker. And, you know, all the things that you and I are trying to do from anyone that's looking at not just the manufacturing, manufacturing um, options, you know, the range, what types of ranges are there? You, we've been speaking about the basement. You mentioned even a shipping container. You know, for someone that, depending on, I, again, again, there's going to be limitations, like if you're in Manhattan or something. But for most people, looking at different options, what are those? So generally, you look at, there's three basic options that I like. There's the purge system, which is air in, air out. You know, no energy recovery, no recirculation. And that next step is, you know, you recirculate that, you know, you bleed off some exhaust and you run it through all the help of filters and it goes back through an air handling system. Or, um, you know, if you're just circulating, you can, if you're in a mild climate, some people don't, they just want to move air. They just want to keep that air going and you can do it that way. And then there's, you know, you get a little more advanced, you go into energy recovery. Of course that adds cost, you know, so you're now recovering that energy, you're doing an energy transfer and that works in, climates that are a little more extreme, you know, like here in Arizona or say like in Minnesota, you know, where you get winter, you know, get a hot extreme or a cold extreme. So those are good options if you want to save some money, but the first cost will be an impact. So, you know, those are the type of ranges that from an HVAC standpoint, you know, that you have in so looking at just the mechanical aspect, you know, to give a point of reference, of course, I know there's so many variations, but if someone's looking at doing an ERV, as opposed to some of the other examples you gave, you know, what does that look like? One X, two X. I mean, how does that change just the mechanical design alone? Uh, that, uh, adding the ERV would, I would say it's a two X cost, you know, so from not only just from an equipment standpoint, now you have in power standpoint as well, you know, there's, other thing that controls associated with that. So there's that, it's a two X cost. Um, you know, that's not always the case, but safely that's, a, that's a safe number to say you're going to you know, double your cost to add the energy recovery. And, and is it worth it? Yeah. Is it worth it? And I think this is really important as you look about, you know, look at the gun ranges you've done over the years. Um, of course there's not a standard size. There's not a standard layout. It, it varies. However, most gun ranges, you know, just for people, they want to have a good idea, maybe the minimum they need. And then it, of course it can vary, but t typical gun ranges that you're designing, what does that look like from a size perspective? So I found a sweet spot. There's, there's been a sweet spot lately and it's um, running about 8,000 CFM, you know? So, you know, we're running, you know, that's about, you know, 10 feet wide, somewhere in that ballpark, you know, on that range. And then, 
a lot of times what we're doing instead of you know putting a big air handler on top or to, to cool it make we're bringing in fresh air but we're using mini splits to temper that air inside that range because you're not you're not bleeding off a ton of air in that those mini splits are amazing they can do they can ramp up and match speed they have digital digital compressors that will ramp up and be able to cool or back it off if it doesn't need as much cooling so you know and that box looks like it's if you just do the fan and filters all all in one which i prefer to do right now i used to do a lot of separate components but together you know it's one package it's about 108 inches long you know two feet tall and about it can be about 60 inches wide you know so it's it's not a small piece of equipment but the alternative is to have a separate filter housing transition and duct work to a fan so now you're you're adding length you're making that instead of 108 you're you're making it 16 to 20 feet long you know so then now you're like where do i put this you know and you want to and hanging it from the ceilings is not usually the best option you want to drop it down on the ground if you can because that's you know then you don't have to get structural involved as much this episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And understand, you know, the 8,000 CFM, but from a, maybe from a linear men measurement you're looking at roughly 10 feet wide by 20 feet deep is that is that right or is it 50 feet deep i mean what's the minimum like length so for on the range what you're looking for is it's it's the your cross section you want the air to move across the shooter you know at between 50 and 75 feet per minute so really what you look at is the width of the range and the height of the range and you know the length you know if it gets too long you may have some issues you got to add some static to make sure you get that range moved down but as you know, you put that fan in place and you got the CFM calculated, you're going across, you know, 10 by eight, you know, so you're 80, you know, square feet and you're moving that air. And as we go through, you know, to make sure that shooter, you're trying to draw that lead and that smoke down range. So that's what, you know, the depth of the range has some aspects on the heating and cooling, but as for airflow, it's the cross-sectional area that really drives 
that uh, that volume. And you know, on some of our ranges, we have these large ceilings. It's great. I love people give me, you know, some of these basements I've had. I've had 14 feet of space to work with, but the shooting stall is only eight feet. So what you do is you you slope that ceiling right at that shooting stall, because then you're not then you can force that air and you keep that air volume down and you can get it past the shooter and then it can flare out whatever it does downrange. So you want to neck that down so you can keep that velocity as high as possible without having to oversize based on a giant cross-section area. It's interesting here you break it down the way because I think most of us think, oh, you know, you just go build the space and you move forward, you know, throw a mini split or, you know, the mechanical down there. But but there's a lot more science to this that's really important to understand, you know, as you've been breaking down here in the last few minutes, Nathan. Um, maybe educate the audience a little bit as far as, you know, like Mervaid filters, bag filters, HEPA. Uh, some of us have heard those terms. Some may not be as savvy as what those mean. You mentioned ERV right? The energy recovery ventilation. Um, you know, the, the difference in merv as opposed to HEPA and, and bag filters. So the merv is something most people have in their home. Like that, that's what you have in your standard, you know, it's a pretty common filter you have in your air handler in your home, you know, so it's that pleated, you know, one inch, two inch, sometimes a four inch that you put inside of your furnace section. Um, the bag filter is designed to catch more particulates, you know, you know, just chunks, you know, you know, sometimes we get rid of the Merv 8 and use the bag to catch the chunks, depending on how much the shooter is going to shoot. And then if they're worried about costs, we, you know, put that pre-filter and they'll catch that catches some of the stuff, but the bag filter is there to catch a lot of that debris, you know, and that still has a high level, you know, that could be a Merv 17, which is you know, the amount of microns that can get through it. But that HEPA filter, you know, generally these are like health grade, healthcare grade HEPA filters, you know, 99.9, which means it's catching almost everything. Your air is going to be cleaner than what you're breathing outside. So, but those are, you know, they're 24 inches deep. The bag filters are 26 inches deep. So, you know, you have, you know, that that's where your length is coming from on your air handler. So that, that air filter is, you know, and from a cost standpoint, you're looking at, you know, your typical throwaway Merv 8 is like, say, 13 bucks. And I think bags run like 150 and then HEPAs are 300 bucks a piece. And some of these air handlers have some of these small ones have two sets, you know. So you're, you know, when you're changing out filters, you're you're over you're usually a thousand dollars, you know. But if you're shooting, you know, quite regularly you know, you're changing it out once a year, you know, something like that. Or if you're not shooting as much, you know, every two years, you know, and filters here in the desert, we don't usually have to worry about mold and mildew, you know, generally we're pretty dry unless we have some catastrophic issue, you know, some weird monsoon thing that happens and we flood a basement and we don't find that water leak, you know, other parts of the country, Florida, you know, I've done a home range in Florida that, you know, we got to, I got to dry out the air. So there's different things I do before I even filter that air because you're bringing in all that nice hot humid air and mold and mildew and all all those spores love that hot humid air and they just hang out there and that that's a whole nother issue that we don't want to have in a home let alone a gun range so you know how where you're at in the country will really affect some of the things things I do as an engineer 
Yeah, it's really important to think about that, whether you're, you know, adding humidity, removing humidity, right, and, and trying to control any microbes, as you mentioned, that'll go in there. Um, from just the the heating and conditioning itself, um, are people putting in fans? You know, is that something that people are doing down there? Uh, is that common? Uh, I know you had mentioned that that could be a thing, you know, depending on a, a combination fan, inline fan, or so forth. So usually it's an inline fan with the filters. That's what most people are, you know, on the gun range. That's that's what I'm recommending right now. And some of them I will put in, you know, like I said, the mini splits. But having other fans down there will mess with your airflow. If you try to put like some guys want to put, I've had guys ask if I can, can I put a ceiling fan in there so I can keep air moving? And I and I tell them I do not recommend that because you get weird. Your air will not flow laminar. You won't get this nice flow. And when the shooter is, you'll get these air you know you do a smoke test i've done a couple smoke tests and i'm like the air is doing weird eddies and you know spinning around and i look at these plans and i'm like oh you guys added a hole back here i got a notch and so my air you know is doing weird things because you didn't follow the plans you thought it'd be okay to change and nobody said anything to me so that's frustrating to me and you know i think you and i had this discussion on that one. we want to keep that square you know rectangle you don't want to keep that nice back end square because you start adding elbows and stuff like that back there on the room you know air is not going to flow the way it should yeah it's really good advice you mentioned power in the very beginning that a lot of people have the misconception they need three-phase power um typically just from a power perspective what is needed for a gun range um in addition to just the mechanical equipment that's installed kind of the rule of thumb i'm using you know if we you know we do some of the homes you know we, some of these bigger homes, people do bring in three-phase power, but it's not commercial three-phase power. It's residential. It's 240 high leg delta, you know, so it's, you know, it's a little bit different, but, you know, I, I usually a lot, I like to tell them a hundred amps, you know, just to be safe, um, not knowing, you know, what the fan's going to do, you know, up front, because once I get in design and I can clarify that and cl- get it all cleaned up, but, you know, I don't tend to do, you know, I'll do some consultation up front, you know, early on, you know, here's a little bit of my time, you know, and then if you want to get farther into it, you know, okay, here's a, here's a contract. Let's, you know, let's, let's detail this out. Um, But yeah, you want to make sure you can say if they're trying to figure out, okay, do I bring in a 600 amp service or do I need to bring an eight, you know, or, you know, it's 400 enough, depending on, you know, you know, this is like a man cave house. I got all gun range and a, bedroom you know so it's kind of depends on what he's what 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 you're looking for um but you know 100 amps i've not had a residential one that's gone over 100 amps i've had close you know because of things that were done and i had to you know call an audible on a fan you know hey you put the wrong size ductwork in well we thought it would be okay so you know oh now you have to instead of a 10 horsepower motor we have to go to a 20 horsepower motor you know and that's you know that's why early on conversations can save headaches down the road. Yeah, it's really sound advice. It's interesting that it's only 100 amps. I mean, it's not a whole lot, um, you know, when you compare it to swimming pool or even, you know, as much as like electric, you know, heaters on a back patio. Um, and, and now with LED technology, you know, and a lot of lighting and stuff, it's, it's limited to load factor a lot of us need. And so based on the experience you've had putting gun ranges, have you seen – or had any clients or customers have an experience where they didn't have sufficient power, they didn't have 100 amps, 
or has it been pretty easy to work around that? I haven't had that come up specifically, but it's always a concern because some of these, you know, homes are farther out, you know, and they're limited in what comes in. So a couple of things we can do is look at reducing, you know, the static on the motor, you know, so a little bit big, bigger duct work. We can reduce by reducing the static, you really reduce the load on the motor. It's not a, it's not a ton you can take off, but I mean, if you're on the line of say, Oh, we're at like seven and a half. If we, reduce it a little bit we can go to a seven and a half ton not have to jump to the 10 so there is savings there so and it's it's really a case-by-case basis like you said earlier each i have not been able to duplicate i have not been able to take the same plan and just said oh yeah here here's your range you know i've had people ask and like every range is different you know every scenario is different that's that's the beauty about custom homes because they are custom and gun ranges are custom clients are custom. I mean, every, I mean, I can't imagine you've had the same client opportunity experience with every one of your clients. I mean, I would imagine it's different with everybody. I wish I did. (laughs) It would make it a little bit easier, right? Um, So how does that factor in without, of course, giving away what your cost is? How does that figure when, when you're involved and they're initiating the process with you? Again, it's case by case. You can't take and, and I would say most of the projects we're working on, even from an architectural perspective and design, they they may have a client that has seen previous work that they've had. They may like it. Um, there's bits and pieces maybe they can use as inspiration, but they're never going to be able to take that exact design and plop it in for the new client. So there's always going to be this handling, you know, of of that relationship. For you, as you're looking at quoting a project, um, how does that play a role knowing that, hey, even though you have a great understanding of, of how to design and build a gun range and the resources available, there's still an aspect to figure out, okay, temperature of the client, you know, are there any red flags? I'm sure you have to identify those with your clients as well, as, as same as I do. Um, you know, how do I, you assess a situation to give you a, a good context so you can know how much, you know, cost or VE is going to be involved? So that's a great question. I've had this discussion with a couple of my range guys. Um, some of the range manufacturers. So what's great is some of these guys, we they'll, some of these guys before they come, they'll send them to me or I'll go to them, but he'll, they'll vet some of them because, you know, they'll say, are you, you know, people say, Oh, I want to do a gun range and you, you won't hear from them ever again. Yeah. Right. You know, and you've given them a bunch of time and you're like, I just wasted hours and hours when I could be working on something else. So there are clients, if you have a conversation with somebody, you've you've probably had the same experience that you get this feeling that you're like, okay, this, this person's serious, this person, you know, okay, this person, you need to charge more money. This person's going to be the, uh, I don't say problem child, but you know, they're going to, they're going to need more handholding going down the road. Cause you can tell by some of the questions they ask, um, what is, you know, you know, when they start asking for the detail, the color of the ductwork, and what color is the VFD? What is the equipment? What are the controls? What color are the controls and stuff like that? You're like, okay, I know I need to spend more time with you. I'm going to charge you accordingly. And then I'll put that in my fee and say, okay, this is what it costs. And I'll say, this covers me X number of meetings. This covers me coming out to the site if I need to. Um, so I just detailed out kind of what, you know, my gut says. And I've realized, you know, as, as you go through this, you're like, you get that vibe, like, Hmm, I need, something's not right here. I've had guys, I've, I've had guys that said, no, I, I can't take this on right now. I've had a couple I've done that too. 
Um, and I'm like, ah, but I want to do, but I'm like, I got to get past that. I want to do all these gun ranges, but sometimes I can't do them all. And then sometimes I'm glad I don't do some of them all, you know, cause it's, you know, you look at what happens, you find out what happened down the road. I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I was not involved in that. Cause that was a mess, you know? And I'm glad I saw that coming. Funny. Cause sometimes the ones you say to, no to are actually the best ones, right? Yeah. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Now, let me ask you this from a cost perspective. As you think about, again, it's probably hard to quote exactly because there's building costs involved and other things. Yeah. But if someone's doing a gun range, maybe at minimum a budget, they should be thinking about up to X. You know, it could be X to Y, you know, just a range of what the cost would be to put one in. So from a mechanical standpoint, you know, I've got that relatively down. You know, we can get most of the equipment. You're looking at between 50 and 80 for the ductwork ventilation ac you know just for the basic you know get that down and you can scale up from there you can go you can go crazy if you wanted to um and then depending on what you do with your range i mean you know you could go super high end i mean you can get all the bells and whistles like the one we did we have all the bells and whistles on that range i mean you know we're shooting a 50 cal in the range mm-hmm. you know so that's a 50 bmg so you know it's really on you know, from a system standpoint, you could go really basic. You could go the hand target, you know, you you reel it out, you put a wheel on it and you reel it out and you're shooting and then you're shooting back against rubber blocks. The rubber blocks are relatively, you know, you're 20, 20 to $30,000 for the rubber blocks, you know, backstop, you know, you can do that for that, but you can get all the way up to quarter million dollars on, you know, rubber berms with, all the controls interlock with the HVAC. You're, then you're, do we want to tie it into the Crestron system? Do we want to, what do we want to control? How much do you want to control? And then that also for me, I, I love being able to control all this stuff through Crestron and all the, you know, home automation. But for me, that also adds failure points. You know, if it's not working, am I going to get a phone call saying, Nathan, my gun range isn't working. What's going on? And you come to find out that the, relay between the Crestron system and the VFD fried and they don't talk anymore. So, you know, that's, you know, so, you know, if somebody for a basic range, you could spend $80,000 on ventilation and then another eight, you could spend easy $80,000 on the trap and targeting systems and go up from there if you wanted to. So essentially, as you mentioned, I mean, you're 160 plus, you know, of course the structure, comes into play, especially if you're doing a basement, right? You have to factor yeah. in that space. Um, and, and I know the one you and I worked on, yeah, that was the bells and whistles. And maybe this is important. Are there any limitations to what you can shoot and what you can, you know, the complexity of the gun range design? You brought up that the client you and I had, he was adamant he wanted a 50, um, 50 caliber. So, you know, length and, you know, design was a huge component of what you were doing, Nathan. You know, to what level can you, is the max, I should say, that you could design that gun range? You know, that's, it's really, what does a client want? We can design to whatever they want, but it's how much are they willing to spend? That's then that comes down to the, are they willing to spend the money? Cause you, if you have that kind of gun, you, you wouldn't want it on a 25 foot range. You know, you wouldn't want it on pistol range. So the range we did, I think we're over a hundred. Yeah. hundred feet. feet. Over a hundred feet. So, you know, that's a good distance to shoot. Um, but it, it comes down to, are they willing to spend the money? You know, do they want to spend the money? Because you and I know here in Arizona, 
basements aren't necessarily a common thing and the ground is super hard you know so it's you know there's a huge expense before you even put the range equipment in so you know that's where being early on and say do you really want this i mean we're happy you know I'm, I'm happy to design ranges for anybody but at the end of the day i don't want somebody to go oh i shouldn't have, i you know i'm spending all this money for something and then like, am I not happy with it at the end of the day, even, you know, that buyer's remorse and, you know, I, I love doing ranges, but we have to, I want to be realistic with the, with the users. So they don't go, Oh, I thought I could just do it for 50 grand and be out the door and be done. You know, that's, that's not the case. There are, there is significant, co significant cost involved in that. Well, I'd imagine you're, you know, how early on are you having the budget conversation? The reason I say that is because for me, you know, I'm I especially later in my career, you know, now I tend to have that budget conversation early because you have to make sure that for both parties, right, to have a clear expectation of what the job's gonna cost or the project. So from your side, I'd imagine that budget conversation coming really early just to understand if it's a real player involved or as well as, you know, is the budget realistic and am I designing, you know, something that's gonna just be a budget bust. So yeah, you know, we all have expectations are not necessarily the best, you know, we, if people go into a situation having expectations that something's going to happen, you know, you got to have some kind of agreement. Hey, I, I agree to provide this service to you, but this on your end, you need to realize this is the investment that you will be making. You know, you have that agreement. I like to have it early on, like you said, because I've realized you confront those things up front and it's not, it's not confronting in a bad sense, but you're, it's open discussion saying, this is what it's going to cost you to do this, you know? please, you know, look at this. I'm not, you know, either way, I'm okay either way, whatever you decide. But I want to be honest with you so you know what you're getting into. Because I don't want anybody to come back and say, well, Nathan didn't say, or, you know, he didn't tell me that it's going to cost $80,000 and then I have to change filters. You know, and, you know, there's no magic, you know, oh, there's no magic ductwork fairy that comes and switches out your diffusers for you and cleans everything for you. So, um, yeah, I... I like to have that discussion early because it, I think it benefits everybody because if you as the home builder are building a home, you have a budget that you're trying to keep in, in a line. And if I come out here, you know, six months after you've broken ground and say, Oh, by the way, this is, this is, this is what this is going to cost. You, you have to go. Now you have to go back to your user homeowner client and say oh i need more money we got to go back to the bank which to me is not fair if we have that discussion early on it saves a lot of headaches a lot of irritation you know it may not be comfortable to have that discussion up front but it's better to have it and get it done and get it out of the way yeah i totally agree that it was interesting you brought up just the the training and maintenance side from a training side with all these designs how how do you do that handoff that baton handoff when it's done and as Kitty moved in, are you actually traveling to these locations and giving them training or is it all remote? I've done both. I, I put a line item in the contract, you know, say, hey, do you want me to come out and meet with you? And a lot of these guys are like, you know, I work with a lot of times I'll work with a local HVAC guy and I kind of vet them. You know, I call my, my, my vendors and say, okay, I need the guys that you will work with because my vendors are not going to give me guys that they don't want to work with because I mean, they don't want the headaches because they're not going to give me the headache guys. So, you know, I have a discussion and I've got a sequence of operations of way, okay, this is how this should work, you know, and then, and it changes depending on what kind of range equipment you have. You know, if you bring in, 
couple, you know, guys that say, oh, I can integrate everything. You know, a lot of times they will take over the additional training. We'll do the basic training on the filter change out, you know, recommend these things, these how to read your, your gauges. But then the targeting guys are coming in and saying, okay, you can change your temperature through these control sequences. You know, you're controlling through our iPad or, you know, through a PC or whatever, whatever they're using for their interface. But yeah, that's, I loved the training. I think that's, I realized I've talking to some commercial, you know, we're talking about homes, but commercially I've realized that these commercial guys, they want training, you know, and that's something I've, I'm expanding with right now. I'm going to, I spent some time in New Mexico looking at a range, a commercial range and because they wanted some more training and some, you know, to improve some things. So I realized there that's, that's a need that I can fill. You know, people want to have training. They want their people to be educated on what's going on in their system because, you know, education solves a lot of issues. If people are educated, you can solve a lot of issues. You're not playing the guessing game. You're like, Oh, okay, this is what's going on. This system's doing this. The filters are probably getting clogged up. We need to go check them. So, you know, education's key. It's funny. I think education's key for all that stuff, right? I, and, and never to like disparage any of our clients or customers. Um, there's no doubt that there is a different experience. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Nathan, when you're working with a highly qualified mechanical contractor, um, when you're working with a highly qualified builder architect, it's going to be a, a much more seamless process, especially if they've done gun ranges in the past. Same for me. If I'm working for a client that's built homes in the past, part of it's education, part of it's you don't know what you don't know, part of it's setting expectation. I mean, there's a whole plethora of items that go into that. Um, but the more that the client or customer knows, I'm sure the experience is a lot better for you. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in these educated people, clients that are educated that know what they want or they've done it before, like you said, that is a huge talking point because, hey, I did this in my previous house. This worked it's just generally from a mechanical standpoint. I did this in my previous house. This worked well or I absolutely hated the way this worked. I don't want this in my new house, you know? So I'm sure you hear that, you know, when you, you know, when you're dealing with your clients and we, what works, what doesn't work. That's always the best for me knowing. And that comes back to that listening thing. What, what are they telling me? You know, what am I hearing? What are they telling me? You know, and then try to iterate back to them. Okay. What I'm hearing you say is you need more training or you want more training or more education. Yeah. So what keeps you up at night? Oh, what keeps me up at night? Oh, well, it used to be the new dogs we got. Um, <laughs> what did you do? What kind of dogs did you get? We got we 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 got two cockapoos about a year ago, and we uh, I'm like, I'll never get a dog. Then we got one, and we're like, oh, he needs a friend. And I'm like, so now we have two dogs, and the dogs I'm like, oh, they're so. I love the dogs. I don't know, you know, I had dogs when I was a kid, but you know, but what keeps me up at night is, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, am I what is my why? Why am I, why am I going after this stuff? Why do I, why does it matter to me? And I, I think what matters to me is I love being an engineer. At the end of the day, I love being an engineer. I've wanted to be an engineer and be in this industry from when I, you know, I've wanted to be an architect. I'm glad I didn't go that road. No offense to the architects that are listening, but that's just not, I realized that's not the road I wanted to go. Engineering, you know, and then I was working at a firm where I didn't get to interact with people. I like interacting with people. You know, I like talking to people. I like solving their issues, solving their problems and being, you know, the solution for them. 
you know, say, Hey, call Nathan. He knows, he knows what to do. And so my why is, am I doing enough or can I do more? That's what keeps me up is, you know, and then, you know, as a dad, I mean, that keeps me up, you know, from a, you know, am I teaching that next generation, you know, you just to be good people. That's, you know, I know that's not related to what's going on here, but I think that's, I think that's what keeps me up. You know, am I, am I being the best dad that I can be? Am I being the best husband I can be? You know, I think that's, those are things that keep me up at night. You know, I, I, I try to exercise more now, so that, that helps with sleep, you know, you're a little tired, but you know, I enjoy, I enjoy what I do. I love, you know, general engineering, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, custom homes, um, a niche with or niche. I don't know if the right word to say, you know, a niche, niche, whatever you depend on the commercial you look at. Gun range is this, a great group of people you know, the, the industry is fantastic. I've made a ton of friends, you know, in the industry, you know, and I want to share what I've learned and, you know, I'm licensed in 46 states, you know, by the end of the year, I'll have all 50 states in DC and Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico and Guam. So, you know, so we're, we're moving forward. I think that's awesome. I, I, I did see that in your notes that you're going to be in all 50 states, including Guam and Puerto Rico. Um, how valuable, you know, for anyone that's looking for a resource, Nathan's right here. Um, going back to why I think it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, just trying to be a good person. I think there's a lot of value to that, right? Someone that's, you know, focused on that, on their why and understanding what motivates you, not just from a mechanical engineer, but on a personal level, you know, it reflects in the quality of work you're producing. You know, it, it, uh, it shows in the network you're building, right? The people that you're, um, inspiring or working with, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of value to people and that I do love that there is a huge push, especially in our industry of people looking to educate and, um, to collaborate. Right. Um, which is what you're doing, Nathan. I know that's part of the reason you want to come on is to educate the public and you know, there's value to that for those listening and, and for all of us. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I, yeah. Education I think is key for anything and, you know, moving the industry and learning from each other. I think, you know, um, I think I've sent you text messages, you know, just around, Hey, Brad, I saw this thing. Are you guys using this? You know, just things that I see as you build a home on my, and I, as I watch, you know, the Instagram stories, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is cool. This, you know, and then, okay, how could I use this? Or how can I bring this up to an architect that I'm working with? Where can, where can we come this, bring this together so we can build a better, healthier, safe product for, the clients you know that's that i think that's as an engineer my responsibility is to keep the public safe safe public safety is like the number one canon for engineering the health and wellness of the, the public so 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 what do you do for fun are you a good shot uh i'm gonna tell you my wife's actually a better shot than me um <laughs> so danielle's a better shot um but i enjoy going shooting um i enjoy scuba diving um i recently you know went to some training and going back to the gym again, um, you know, trying to focus on a couple of, you know, get my body, you know, back in shape, you know, taking care of myself. You know, I think as we get older, it's not easier, um, but you have to do it. I think you just get up, go to the gym. And then um, we enjoy traveling. You know, I think we've had that discussion. We've, you know, but, you know, I enjoy spending time with my family. I realize as I get older, I don't want much, there's not much I want or need, you know, but, you know, time and memories, 
you know, those are the things that, that I want with my family, you know, and my kids are getting older and, you know, they still like me. So we're good. You know, they're getting to that teenage age, you know, and where the kids, you know, get a little pushback, but, you know, spending time with my family is like, I realize how important it is. You know, I kind of put work, you know, I try to make work was the priority. You know, I'm focused on work. I got to work. I got to work, got to work. And I realized that I need to invest in my family, invest in my relationship with my wife and invest in, you know, what I do and educating myself and going to these conferences and spending time with industry, but then come home to my wife and my family and invest in them as well. It's amazing counsel. I, I can't think of a better way to close Nathan, cause you summed it up perfectly. And, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of sound advice in there. And I think just the value of time, right. And, and using that time wisely, you know, with those that are important to you around you, um, for those listening that are looking to reach out to Nathan on their next gun range, install or opportunity, you know, where can they find you? So I'm working on a brand new uh, Instagram and website to specialize in gun range. My, my base email is uh, Nathan.Pies. Oh, no, let's give me the other, let's go the other email. Um, let's go npies at pioneerde.com. And soon there will be a new website. It'll be gunrangepde.com, which that's in the process right now. Um, and I'll send Brad that information so you can post that with the podcast. Yeah, we'll get that all uploaded on the website. So Nathan, I can't thank you enough. It's been great working with you just in business. It's been great having you on the podcast and of course, educating our clients and 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 those listening just on uh, something that's a little unique, you know, putting a gun range in, in your personal house. Yeah. Awesome. Brad, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe. Make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.